If you are watching online or if you're here in person and you're new, we want to connect with you. It's really important. We want to connect with you. It's been so hard to connect with new people over the last few months. We don't want to miss this opportunity. So please text. Please text 720-707-1757. And you just text the word follow to that number. Let me give you the number again. It's 720-707-1757. So go ahead and text new to that number. And I will tell you this. This is a weird story, guys. I don't want to bring you down. But it is a matter of life and death because over the last few months, we had somebody text in there brand new, reconnected with Christ over the last few months, and then died of a heart attack. So a new guy, and I was able to have a great conversation with him on the phone before he died. So I'm telling you, connect with us, okay? Don't wait. It's a matter of life and death. Okay, that's, is that gallows humor? Okay, let's just move on. Well, it's great to see you guys. As you can tell, you can already see some of the roof over here. Do you see, look behind you at the very top of this building. You can see they've already done a lot in the middle here. This abutment needs a lot more work. So please continue to give to our Raise the Roof Fund. Um, they, they're starting to work on the abutments here in July. Um, but please continue to give to that fund um, so we can get this building fixed up when we can get back into it, right? Yeah, that'll be really nice. Um, so please do that. And I've already had a lot of people ask us about a name change. Well, we're working on that, okay? <laughs> we're discussing that. Um, in case you didn't know, Stapleton, the neighborhood is changing their name. So we're kind of the church for the neighborhood, so we're going to have to uh, discuss that seriously. So uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Um, yeah, uh, I can't see some of you over here, but I do see my wife and twins over there and McKinley. Uh, yeah, all right. I'm excited about that. We didn't bring them for the first couple months because we were afraid of the flu, right? And now that's like, pff, who cares about the flu? But we're glad they're here. I'm glad you guys are here, that you braved it, you were courageous enough to come. And today we're going to continue our series, Jesus Is, as we look at Luke chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, if you have a physical Bible, if you have a phone, an app, we're going to have it on the screens here as well. I hope that you guys are able to see that. Man, isn't this perfect weather today? Couldn't have asked for better weather today. Let's keep praying for that every week. Um, so what we're going to look at is Luke chapter 9, and we're going to actually start in verse 28 and go to 36 today, um, because we are going to uh, look specifically about Jesus, um, because people seem to like Jesus, don't they? I, it has been very, very rare where I've met somebody who didn't like Jesus. You find atheists who are like, oh yeah, that guy was a great dude. Okay, people like Jesus. And I think we just need to acknowledge it. Jesus is, is someone great. But I think what people often say is Jesus is great, but so are a bunch of other people. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I liked to read. I had just finished up the Chronicles of Narnia, and my teacher recommended a book to me. She said, oh, if you like the Chronicles of Narnia, they're a great Christian series, of course, by C.S. Lewis, you should read this other book, a very popular children's book. Is that me? I think it is me. I think we're just going to have to deal with that because of the wind. You guys are okay with that? Um... And recommended this book, and I read it, and I was really excited because I came to the end, and it was talking about these heroes who have fought back the darkness in the world and, and brought light to the world. And it specifically said Jesus was one of these great heroes. And I was like, wow, this is exciting. My public school teacher <laughs> recommended this book that says Jesus is a great figure in history. But then it went on, and it said, just like all the great artists, people like Michelangelo and Da Vinci, Shakespeare. And, and he was great, just like all the great scientists, like Madame Curie and um, Louis Pasteur. And he was also great like the other religious figures, like Muhammad and Buddha. And I read that book, and then I was a little disappointed. 
But I, I think that's a very common notion in our world, that Jesus is great. People like him. He did some great stuff. He was an awesome guy. He loved people. He taught other people to love. He showed how to love with his very own life. And yet, people just say he's one of the greats. He's one of the greats. He, he's up there with, with people that have changed the world. Gandhi. He's up there with Martin Luther King Jr. and Peyton Manning. We put them all up there and we say, these guys are great. And maybe some of you have done the same thing. You're like, I come to church because there's so many good things I can learn from Jesus in the Bible. But you see him as just one among many. And what we're going to talk about today is, is that enough? You know, this is really the popular idea of our day. Gandhi said it. Gandhi said it when he said that my position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. They're all great, right? Or or Oprah, okay, she's our uh, spiritual leader today, right? One of the biggest mistakes humans make, she said, is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. I think this is probably the most popular notion in our world. It's often called pluralism. There's a plurality. There's multiple different ways to God, and Jesus is one of them. And my question to you today is, is that enough? Is that enough? So I hope that you will keep an open mind if you are watching online and you're like, yeah, I think Jesus is one of the greats. Keep an open mind. Is that enough? Or is Jesus more unique than that? So we're going to look in Luke chapter 9, in starting in verse 28. And if you have that Bible, would you just read with me in verse 28? It says, about eight days after Jesus said this. Okay, after he said what? Remember last week, if you were here, if you were watching online, when Jesus said, he predicted, he said, hey, I'm the Messiah, by the way, and I'm going to die and three days later rise from the dead. I'm going to suffer a lot and then rise from the dead. So we talked about how the suffering, and he called people to follow him, would take up their cross, be ready to suffer and die for the name of Jesus. Jesus said, okay, I just said that, so eight days later, and according to the other Gospels, it was six days. Luke is just saying, hey, it's about eight days. So we're we're talking about a week after that major pivotal moment when Jesus is finally declared the Messiah. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James, these are three of his disciples, they're kind of his core group, with him and went up onto a mountaintop to pray. So they're overlooking the beauty of of ancient Israel and they're on the mountaintop. Hey, here's a little uh, bonus point for you. If you do go on a hike this summer, stop at the top and pray. Okay? Just, I I dare you to do it. You're going to thank me later. Okay? Even if you're with other people who are atheists, just say, we've got to pray right now. Okay? It's important. Uh, Jesus did this on a purpose. You should do it too. Verse 29. And as he was praying, get this, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So here is Jesus praying. His small group of disciples are there. These three guys are witnessing this. And Jesus' face literally changes. In Matthew and Mark, it uses the word metamorphosis. And you've often maybe heard this passage called the transfiguration. His, His look is changing. His face is changing. This Jesus that they knew all of a sudden looks different. He's shining. He's bright. His clothes are looking as bright as lightning. Now, this is a crazy, powerful event, okay? And it's not because they didn't get off the peak before noon, like they're hiking Long's Peak, okay, if you've ever done that. Okay, that's not what's going on here. Jesus' whole face looks different. They see him, and they see something different coming out of him. And they're shocked. They're trying to figure out what is going on. In verse 30, it gets weirder. Two men, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor. 
talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So here is, out of nowhere, two men appear with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And they're talking with Jesus. They're having a conversation. Okay, Moses and Elijah have been dead now for hundreds, thousands of years at this point, right? You guys tracking with me? And in case you don't know, Moses was the great leader, Charlton Heston, you know, you, you've seen that. Okay, he, he's the guy who came down off the mountain, just like they were on a mountain, with the, the Ten Commandments, two tablets coming down, like he had spoken with God. And here is God's law that Moses gives to his people. Moses was the guy who led God's people when they were in slavery in Egypt, and he brought them out, out of that oppression, out of that slavery, into the promised land. So that was Moses. And Moses is there standing next to Jesus, but there's also Elijah. Now Elijah, once again, is a great prophet just like Moses. Elijah is often considered the greatest of the prophets. Moses is the lawgiver, but they're both considered prophets. And Elijah was the guy. We remember a couple of years ago we did a series on Elijah. You can find it at stapletonchurch.com slash media, right? It was a series called Fire from Heaven, just five weeks. So if anybody is like interested and curious this week, go back and listen to that. Because Elijah was an incredible prophet. There was one point he was up on the mountain and he called down fire from heaven and it came and burned up this whole altar. He was an incredible spokesman for God. He was powerful in a time of uh, corruption and a terrible leader of their nation. So here are these great leaders of Israel's history, God's history, standing there next to Jesus. Now, I think there's a significance of these two guys, because if you're like, well, where's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elisha, and, you know, Joshua, where are those guys? Okay, there's a significance to this, because Jesus' most common phrase that he used describing what we call the Old Testament is the law and the prophets. When Jesus talked about that, he didn't say, hey, you know that book that you got from the bookstore, you know, the, the NIV, the KJV? No, no, okay. He said the, the, the law and the prophets. That's the most common thing he referred to, to the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament today. The law and the prophets, and Moses is the lawgiver, and Elijah is the prophet. And here they are standing with Jesus. So in a sense, the entire Old Testament, the whole scope of God's history is there with Jesus. This is a powerful moment visually for the disciples who see this. This is a powerful moment. And I think because they saw those three next to each other, Peter, who's really kind of the leader of the disciples, probably the oldest of all twelve, and he's there, and, and he says something. In verse 32, it says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up what? Three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Okay, Luke gives that nice little uh, narration there so we can figure out, figure out, okay, what is going on here. So Peter wants to put up a tent for these guys. Okay, not one of these pop-up tents, but it was probably nearing the time of the Festival of Tents, the Festival of Booths, as it's called in the Bible. Jews to this day practice this. Maybe you've seen this. Some, some of your Orthodox Jewish friends may put up tents in their yards during this week. It's a celebration as they remember the time that God's people spent in the wilderness because they lived in tents. They traveled from one location to the next to the next. They were a nomadic people until they made it into the promised land. So that celebration is happening. And, and since they're on this mountain temporarily, Peter's like, I got a great idea. 
Let's honor you guys. Let's put up these tents. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a party. We want to make sure there's one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you too, Jesus, because you guys, all three should be honored equally. Do you see what Peter's doing there? He's seeing these three guys on the mountaintop. They're equal. They're standing next to each other. They're having a conversation together. They're equal. I I think what's really interesting, Luke adds the detail that none of the other gospel writers include is that they were speaking together about something. Did you notice that in verse 31? Luke is the only one who includes this detail. He says, they spoke about Jesus' departure. Okay, Circle that word if, if you have a physical Bible. That's interesting because that word departure in the Greek is the word exodus. So they're talking about Jesus' exodus that he's about to do. Moses had the great exodus, right? We all know that. We've got a whole book of the Bible about that, okay? Moses led God's people in the exodus out of Israel, crossed the Red Sea in to the wilderness. Okay, there's this exodus as they're leaving oppression and entering freedom. And now what Moses is saying is that this Jesus, as they're talking, you're going to have an exodus too. So Peter and the disciples are hearing this like, wow, Jesus is up there with the greats. He's one of the greats. Now for, for these guys, these disciples they, who knew Jesus as a man, they hung out with him, they ate meals with him, they're like, wow, this guy's great. This is so cool. Look how cool Jesus is. Hey, man, you guys want to be friends with Jesus? Jesus should be your homeboy. Look at him. He's up there with the greats. But Peter gets it wrong, doesn't he? And that's what Luke (laughs) kind of puts that comment in there. He didn't know what he was talking about. Because what happens next is powerful. What happens next is powerful. You see, I, I think in our day, though we maybe have moved beyond the prophets of the Old Testament, just Moses and Elijah and, and Elisha and Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those guys, Nahum, remember him? Okay, all those prophets. Okay, what we've done is that, hey, there's some other great people in history, right? Okay, we've moved past that. So we, we can look at some of the great saints, St. Saint Augustine, St. Saint Francis of Assisi. We can look at other religions. There's Confucius, man, he's got some wisdom. We see other people, Gandhi, who are doing great things, leading movements in our world. And we see these people in our world and we say, look at all these great figures in human history who have stood for something. So, so I think in our day, it might not just be like, whoa, Jesus is just as great as Moses and Elijah. I think in our day, it's, he's just as great as all those other religious figures. Maybe some prophets of today, people like Joseph Smith or, or that L. Ron Hubbard guy, if you really want to get modern, Right. People look at that and they say in our world, look, at Jesus is one of the greats. And we take that even a step further in our world, and this is taught even in public school, because I remember hearing this, is that, oh, there are many paths that all lead up the same mountain. Have you guys heard this idea? That there's many paths and all these different prophets, all these different philosophies, all are many paths up the same mountain. And I think there on the mountaintop, there's this incident there in the first century. Jesus is there. And I think even in Peter's mind, although they wouldn't have drawn from those other religions like we do nowadays. But but they're seeing Moses and Elijah right there. Jesus, all three of you equal. Let's honor you equally. But then what happens next, I think, begins to prove that Peter and the disciples had the wrong idea. It says in verse 34, while he was speaking, this is Peter speaking, a cloud appeared. And covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, we read, they found that Jesus was alone. 
this cloud of glory comes down and it's terrifying the disciples. Once again, this is not like a cloud like you're at the top of Long's Peak about to get struck by lightning, okay? This is a cloud of glory. This is the cloud that appeared in the time of the Exodus that God's presence would come with the people to lead them and then to be on the mountaintop where Moses went there to speak with God face to face. This is the cloud of the glory of God. And it is there on the mountain terrifying the disciples. And then they hear the voice of heaven, the voice of the Father saying, This is my son. And at this point they can't see. Which one? Moses? Elijah? Jesus? Which one? This is my son. Listen to him. And who is there when the cloud is lifted? What does it say? Jesus. The Father in heaven has not said Moses and Elijah and Jesus are equal. He has said, There is one son of mine. There is one who has all the glory. Above even Moses, above even Elijah, it is Jesus. Jesus stands alone. Now, I think the disciples should have picked up on this earlier, but but they kind of missed a couple signs. They kind of missed a couple signs. And if you've ever studied this passage before, it often gets linked back, and maybe you remember this from Sunday school when you were a kid, it gets linked back to a story when Moses was on the mountaintop. Do you remember this? It's Exodus 34. Moses is on the mountaintop. He's speaking with God, it says, as one face to face. Getting the law, he comes down with the Ten Commandments. And and I just want to show you one verse from that passage in Exodus 34, 29. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So Moses comes down, his face is radiant, it's glowing, people can't look at him, and they actually put a veil on his face because they were terrified to be with Moses because he had this glory radiating out of him. But what's interesting there in Exodus 34, 29, it says that he had this glow about his face, this radiance. Why? Because God spoke to him. The glory that was coming out of Moses' face was not intrinsic to him. It was not internal. It was a reflection. Moses was the mirror, and because he had seen God face to face, that glory shone out to him, and he had to have that veil because nobody could even stand looking at him. But that's not what it said about Jesus, is it? Did you notice that? It didn't say when Jesus was up on the mountain. uh, Did you notice the timing of it? It isn't after he sees Moses and Elijah that he is transfigured, is it? It isn't after even the Father in heaven speaks that Jesus is transfigured. When did it happen? Look back at verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. It's when Jesus spoke, he was transformed. Okay, I don't want you to miss this. See, what's happening to Jesus is he's not a reflection of the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He is the one above all things. He is not like Moses, a prophet who speaks for God. He is God speaking. That's why John would even pick it up and say, Jesus is the word of God become flesh among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Father. See, Jesus is not the same as Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and Malachi. He's not the same as any of those guys. Jesus stands alone. Jesus stands alone. You know, this is such a powerful moment that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it. Even Peter gives us a first-hand account of this. Did you know this? This is one of the only accounts in the Bible. It's given four different times. Peter picks up on this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. What Peter is saying is we were eyewitnesses to this. We saw Jesus in his full glory for that moment. We glimpsed the kingdom of God fully. And it was not because Moses was there. It was not because Elijah was there. It was because Jesus stood alone. Jesus stood alone. So I want to tell you this. Jesus stands alone above every man, woman, every historic figure, every scientist, every musician and artist, every prophet and every wise person who has ever lived. Jesus stands alone. And I don't want any of you to miss this. I think on this day that we're all coming back together, I I think there's nothing more important for us than to say that Jesus stands alone. There's a reason why we're here today. Because Jesus stands alone. There's a reason why even today, even though people are watching online and in small groups all around the globe, people are still worshiping Jesus. 2,000 years later. Because Jesus stands alone. Now some of you are thinking, "Well, well, Matt, that sounds a little arrogant. It seems a little arrogant to say that Jesus is above everybody else. But here's the thing. It's not arrogant if it's true. Okay? If I say the earth is round... You're fine with it. In fact, you would laugh at the people who say the earth is flat, right? Aren't they the mockery of our society right now? It's not arrogant to say the earth is round. We know. It's not arrogant either to say that Jesus is the one and only way, the one who stands alone. If he is. And I believe this passage is saying that Jesus stands alone even above the prophets of the Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews, the author picks up a very similar sentiment. He says, In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus stands alone, even above the great prophets of the Old Testament. Now, this is important for us. And, you know, that, that idea with that many paths lead up the same mountain? Hey, that's fine if there's only one mountain. But the reality is, if you study religions, even for a minute, you'll know that they're different mountains. One teaches about heaven and hell. Another teaches about the earth going on forever and ever and ever. One teaches that you die and then face judgment. Another one says that you're going to come back in another life as a different being, okay? The, the religions teach different things. They go different places. They have different ways of salvation, if they even have salvation, okay? We know that they're so different. Okay, I was just trying to think of what this would be like in our world, and, and I've talked with some people who, who, who've done this accidentally, but if you were just going to meet a friend, and your friend said, hey, meet me in Springfield, and you pull out your phone, and you say, okay, Siri, take me to Springfield, It's going to matter which Springfield you're talking about, right? Springfield, Missouri? Or Springfield, Illinois? Or Springfield, Massachusetts? Or one of the five Springfields in Wisconsin? There are 33 Springfields in the United States. If you're not careful, you could go to all sorts of different locations and be hundreds and thousands of miles away from the friend you're trying to meet. What matters is where your friend is going, okay? Just because it's similar and you're going to drive on a similar road in a similar vehicle with similar speed limits that you're not going to follow. Okay, it's similar, but you're not going to the same location. What matters is the location you're going. And what Jesus is showing here by this time, and with the Father's voice is coming out of heaven, all these eyewitnesses, these ear witnesses here, is that Jesus is the one to listen to. No one else. 
And when Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through what? Me. There is no other way according to Jesus. And the Father in heaven said, Jesus is the one to listen to. So that's why Jesus stands alone. And my encouragement, my challenge to you today is not to just throw away every book. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't study wisdom in the Proverbs of all sorts of different religions. It doesn't mean there's even truth in all sorts of different ways in our world. It doesn't mean you have to, this Bible's my own textbook, I don't read any other books. Okay, you don't have to do that, okay? But what we do say is that Jesus stands above all of them. He is the authority in the world and in my life. Jesus stands alone. Can we do that? That we look through everything in the world as a filter through Jesus. Because Jesus stands above all those things. He stands above our political ideologies. Yeah? Okay? He, he stands uh, above uh, our country. Okay? Our, our country has only been around, what, a few hundred years? I mean, Jesus has been around since before time began. Jesus stands alone. And that's why he deserves the honor. He des- deserves the authority. And like the Father in heaven said, we must listen to him. If he tells us to do something, we do it. We don't delay in doing it either. Jesus stands alone. Listen to him.